average. I've spent my life running from that word. I started my life as an average guy with average faults and average capabilities. But I soon learned that this world presents greater than average problems. It wasn't long before those problems pressured me to become someone else, to become Superman. I convinced myself I had to be bulletproof. I had to be bigger than any problem. I had to be superhuman. Frankly, I'm tired of being Superman. Maybe Clark wasn't so bad after all. It's time for reality to meet the real me. It's time to say goodbye to Superman. All right, well, our series is called Say Goodbye to Superman, and if you were here with us the last couple weeks, you know that we've been talking about uh, something that I call having a Superman complex, and I am the first person in line to say I'm guilty of that. As a matter of fact, I told you that this series is all about me working through my own problems, and y'all just get to be here and listen in. So I hope that's all right with you. Um, but we talked about the fact that a lot of us feel pressured to be better than we are. Sometimes that's made worse by a message that we've heard maybe growing up or in other areas of our life where we've heard the message that we're not good enough, but we're really, really working hard to kind of push beyond the barriers of, of what our limits are. Um, as a matter of fact, we said that it's almost like there's two dials in the, in the gear work of your life, in the control room of your life. One of them is your capabilities, and God sets that dial. And we said that you don't get to touch that. That's, God determines what you're capable of. And then we said it's almost like there's another dial that says expectations. And you get to set that, or anybody that you give permission to can mess with that dial. So we said if the expectations dial is set higher than the capabilities dial, then we said you're headed for a meltdown. That's the, the Superman crisis that we're talking about, is I expect more from myself than what I'm actually capable of doing. And in fact, we said it's kind of like if you had a line in the, in the universe that divided humanness from superhumanness, we know that we're not superhuman, but it's almost like we're on the, the human side of the line and we are daring ourselves to cross over. And so we push and we push and we push ourselves and we expect big things. As a matter of fact, I told you I think the, the, the key thing for me that makes me feel like I have a Superman complex is I feel like my no reflex is either out of order or just missing, right? So if somebody says, can you do this? The answer for me is always, yes, sure, sure, I can do that, right? Um, they're not very good at saying no. And maybe you also understand that. Maybe that's something that you've dealt with. And, uh, but what we said, right, was we said that when we have that issue and we kind of try to live that Superman lifestyle, we said there's, a, there's a, some prices that you pay for that. There's some bad outcomes. As a matter of fact, we said whenever you uh, have, expect more from yourself than what you can do, you are headed for a meltdown. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. So we said we were going to look at five different stories in the Bible, five different people who had this sort of a Superman complex, who had a meltdown, and we're going to try to learn something. We're going to try to figure out what is the price that these individuals paid for trying to live that superhuman lifestyle, and what can we learn from it? So the first couple weeks, right, the first week we talked about isolation, and we said that a lot of times uh, it's very difficult for the people who love us the most to connect with us at a deep level when we're living that kind of life. And then last week, my dad talked about those moments where uh, we can actually become our own worst enemy, right? Because we talked about King Saul. 
This week, though, we're shifting gears a little bit, and we're talking about somebody who had a superwoman complex, because we're looking actually at a lady in the Bible who struggled with this. And so this is, this is not gender-specific, right? I mean, any of us can get stuck in this trap of expecting ourselves to be more than we are. So we're going to look at a story in the, uh, in the Bible of a superwoman. But just so you know, actually, superwoman is still very much alive and well. I know this because I saw her last week in California. Um, <laughs> I was, my dad was speaking here last week because I was at a conference, uh, and so when, when dad was up here talking to you about King Saul last Sunday, I was actually in LAX, I was in uh, Los Angeles airport on my way back to Wichita, and I saw Superwoman in person. I know she was Superwoman because as she was walking through the airport, she had, she had two kids in tow. One was on a leash. Have you seen these things? It's a leash, right? It's, it's like a, 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 a harness that the kids got on and it somehow attaches to to the mom you know and so I, I assume this is to keep him within close range or also I figured you know I mean I watched him kind of get a little far out there and it sort of looked kind of rubbery so it sort of springs back you know the kid runs boing, and springs back to mom you know it's kind of cool sort of like a yo-yo um, but then on the other you know then she had her other kid who's a little older by the hand right and then in the other hand she had roller luggage. Now, there's something inherently evil about roller luggage. It only ever makes it fully functional for one leg of a trip, right? The leg home, you're just dragging that sucker, right? Because it, it doesn't roll anymore. So she's, she's trying to drag this piece of roller luggage. She's got her purse and her laptop all bungee corded strapped to the roller luggage. So she's trying to make it through. And then she's got her coffee. And her coffee cup, she's got like this. All right? And then the phone rings. You know, and she's trying to figure out what to do. So she gets rid of her coffee. She t she she grabs the phone, and and this is all happening really fast, right? It's taking me a little while to describe it, but all this is happening in real time. You know, so we're passing in the airport, and uh, as I'm walking past, I hear her having this phone conversation. And what she says is, she she goes, <sighs> "Sweetheart, I don't know. I'm just trying to make it onto the airplane before I disintegrate." <laughs> right? Now I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet but I know what was happening on the other end of that phone call, right? On the other end of the phone call is her husband, and he's calling in, he said, hey, sweetheart, do you know where my Navy socks are? <laughs> right? But think about the word that she used. She said, I need to get on the airplane before I do what? Disintegrate, right? What a powerful word. She, she picked a really good word because that is what is happening to us in our world in which we live and in the culture that pulls us in so many directions and we have so many stresses and so many things calling for our attention. You know, the beeping, buzzing, vibrating, status updating, tweeting craziness that in our life, always there's something pulling, pulling, pulling us apart. And before you know it, we are not the together, integrated, put together person that God designed us to be. We're falling apart. And that's what we're talking about. And by the way, if you feel that, if you listen to what I just said and said, man, that is, that is something that I deal with, you should know you're not alone. I think we live in the most distracted culture ever. And technology isn't helping, right? I mean, if you have one of these, you pay monthly for a distraction, right? You pay to be distracted. You have a monthly bill that comes due, right? Now, you know what I'm talking about if you've ever had a conversation with somebody. I mean, you're, you're talking to somebody. You both have one of these gizmos. You're, you're having a conversation with somebody, and all of a sudden, one of you starts buzzing, right? Bzzz. 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 Now you've got to figure out which one of you is vibrating, 
right? Because one of you is getting a call, right? And, and once the other person figures out it's them, now they really look conflicted. The look on their face is like, I don't know what to do. Do I look at the caller ID? Is that rude? If I look at the caller ID, are they going to feel like I'm not caring about this conversation? Or do I just keep talking to them and act like my phone's not ringing? And then what if this is a really important call? And what if I'm, so you, they really look very weirded out, right? So finally they decide that they're going to look at the caller ID and talk to you at the same time to try to figure out, which by the way, while they do this, they become pre-verbal, right? So they're looking at their phone, they're going, well, right, I said that, um, uh, um, <laughs> But, uh, wait, what was I saying? Right? You know this happens, right? And then they're looking at this. They know who's now calling because they got to vote somebody off the island. Now they're looking at the phone. They know they either have to answer the phone or they have to continue the conversation with you. They're going to tell you one of two things, right? One, one is I have to take this, which means you lost, right? Um, or, or they're going to say, I'll call them back, right? as though you are as concerned about the phone call that they just received as they are, and you somehow need reassurance, right, that they will eventually call this person back, right? That's how distracted we are. That is how much technology slash just little crazy stuff in our life has dictated to us that our focus gets played out in tons of different directions. And as a result, we're not bringing our whole self to anything. We're very divided. Now, we've come up with some nice words to make it sound like a good thing, right? People say, well, I'm, I'm a good multitasker. I do a lot of multitasking, right? Well, I mean, in a certain way, it's good to be able to do more than one thing at once. Some of us, our job requires that. But when multitasking means my entire life consists of being splayed out in 20 different directions, it can be kind of a bad thing. As a matter of fact, I was listening to some research uh, a little earlier this week that said, um, uh, uh, researchers asked teenagers, which is better? Which, well, let me rephrase that. Which is a better quality conversation? That word quality is very important. What's a better quality conversation? A phone call or a text? What do you think teenagers said? What's a better quality conversation? A phone call, believe it or not. Teenagers said it is better quality to have a phone conversation than a text message. So then the researcher said, well, which would you rather do? Would you rather call somebody or text them? What do you think they said? Absolutely, it was huge. Text, 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 what everybody said. So I say, well, wait a minute. If a phone call is a better quality conversation, but you'd rather text, why? And the response was overwhelmingly the same. Because if I text, I can multitask. I can talk to multiple people at once. I can text and watch the television. I can text and listen to music. I can text and play video games. I can text and talk to my parents at the same time. How many know that people can text and talk to their parents at the same time, right? They said, look, I can do multiple things. I can multitask. And that's, by the way, folks, the world that we're living in, is that we don't bring our whole self to just about anything. And if you have a Superman complex like I do, you're the king or the queen of multitasking. But the question is, what is the price that we're paying for that? And I want to take you to this story in the scriptures because we're going to learn a little bit about this idea of multitasking, and we're also going to learn a little bit about what it's like to have a Superman complex. We're looking in Luke chapter 10, and by the way, when I teach, a lot of times I kind of go all over scripture, and we hop here, and we hop there, and we take verses from across uh, the Bible, but today, mostly, we're going to hang out in this one little passage, and we're going to get everything we can out of this one uh, uh, block of text in Luke 10, uh, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. 
She had a sister called Mary, and this is going to be important in a minute, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him, him being Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered her, a better translation is, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Okay, so I want you to get this scene in your mind, all right? Martha has invited Jesus to dinner. Now, Bible scholars believe that this was not just Jesus. This was an invitation to Jesus, his disciples, and anybody else who happened to be close to him at the time. This could have easily been 20, 25 people. It could have been more, right? Now, you think about this. In terms of size of home or size of house, Martha probably had a decent-sized home. But in terms of what we think of as a large or a small home, she probably had a very small place. So you imagine, ladies, that you have just invited probably say, let's just say 20. You've invited 20 people that you don't know over to your house to make a big meal for them in a, in a tiny home. Now, keep this in mind as well, right? In your preparation for them to come and have this meal, it's not the same as how we would prepare today. I mean, I don't know if you grew up in the kind of home I grew up in, but in the home I grew up in, if you had special company coming over, there was a period of preparation. You know what I mean? Like all the clean surfaces got cleaned again, right? Everything got swept, everything got dusted, everything got waxed, everything was looking, you know, pretty and nice. Here's the deal. Think about this. Martha's got to do that, but she has no Swiffer. She has no Mr. Clean. She has no Febreze, right? This is all stuff she's got to do on her own, right? And then think about this. In addition to all of this, she's got to cook for all these people. You think about how much of a pain Thanksgiving dinner can be to prepare. Some of y'all know it's a big deal when you have a lot of people coming over to eat. But think about the fact that Martha has no freezer. She has no refrigerator. She has no oven range. She has no modern stove. I mean, this is a real challenge. And you think about it, she's in the middle of doing this, right? And, 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 and I think if you had run into Martha on a regular day, Martha would have been a very put-together woman. She would have been you know, nicely coiffed, every hair in place, you know. Uh, uh, but I think if you ran into her in the middle of trying to get ready for this meal, I think she was probably cranky, she was probably sweaty, and she was probably wondering why she wanted to do this in the first place, right? And in the meantime, she's looking around for her sister Mary, who should be helping her out, Right? I mean, after all, their family, this is what family does. They get together, they prepare the home for the meal. She's looking for Mary. Where is Mary? What's, what's going on? I mean, she's not anywhere working on the house. She's not anywhere cooking. And she finds Mary, and Mary is in the living room, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, listening to what Jesus said. Doing, in Martha's mind, basically doing nothing. I mean, there is so much wrong with this, it boggles Martha's mind. How could she do this to me? And more than that, Jesus seems to be letting it happen, Right? And this is where we see Martha have her meltdown moment. I mean, she comes in and just lets Jesus have it. Check this out. Martha 10, uh, Luke 10, verse, uh, verse 38. She came to him and asked, now check this out. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? And then check this out. She's going to tell Jesus what he should do. Tell her to come help me. And it is easy to just read right past this. If you're reading through the Gospels, it's easy to just read right through the story. And Martha got upset. Martha came in and said, tell, tell Mary to come help me. But think about this. Put yourself in the room. Jesus, to most people in the room for sure, he is the son of God. Maybe to a few people in the room, they may be still on the fence on this, but, but they consider him a very respected Jewish teacher. He's a respected man. 
He's in the room. He's teaching. And all of a sudden, Martha bursts in and yells at him, hollers at him, and tells him what he should do, accuses him of not caring about her. I guarantee you, after that happens, you could have heard, I bet you could have heard a pin drop in that room. What's Jesus going to do? I mean, you think about what Martha said. What Martha said was dripping with resentment. Resentment towards Mary, yes, but even bigger than that, resentment towards Jesus. How is he going to respond? All eyes are focused on Jesus. What is he going to do? And then what you see, his response is, you are worried and upset about many things, but few are needed, or indeed only one, which, by the way, there's a little bit of ambiguity in the text. Bible translators aren't exactly sure what to do with this. Few things are needed or indeed only one. We think this means few things are needed, or in this case, only one thing. And he says, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus speaks directly to Martha's superwoman complex, and he takes her to the point of her focus. What is she focused on? What is she investing her time and her resources and her attention on? He wants her to think about that, and he's talking about all these things that are pulling on her and causing her to disintegrate. It's important that we pay attention to this because this is something that we're all dealing with. To a certain extent, all of us can identify with the mom in the airport that's being pulled in five different directions because we know what that's like. And I think all of us, at a certain level, we are trying to monitor what we pay attention to. We are trying to monitor what we give our time and resources to. And I've, I've done that, but I, I tell you, I think I may have done the math a little wrong in my life, and that's what I want to explore with you. In my life, I knew that the Bible tells us there's some bad stuff out there in the world. There's some bad stuff, things that you, you shouldn't pay attention to, things that you shouldn't invest in, things that you shouldn't do. And I knew that those are things I need to stay away from. But to be honest with you, I just sort of had my world divided into two categories, bad stuff and good stuff. I mean, if it's not bad, why wouldn't it fit in this category? So, you know, things like um, television. Well, if it's not a bad program, right? If it's not bad, then it must be good. So it must be something that probably deserves my focus. Social media, right? Well, it's not bad. I'm not doing anything bad on social media. So it must, if it's not bad, it must be good. I didn't say it must be the best thing, but if it's not bad, it must be good. See, we know that there's a lot of stuff out there calling for our focus and attention. And we have to make a decision. What are we going to attend to? Think of it this way. Think of your attention, the gateway to your attention, like, like the front door of your home, right? And you've got that doorbell. And when something calls for your attention or your resources or your time or something like that, it's like it comes and it rings the doorbell. What is your strategy? Just straight up, what is your strategy for knowing when to answer the door? See, a lot of us, and this, is, this has been me, a lot of us have the Halloween candy approach to answering the door of our attention. Whenever the doorbell rings, go and answer it. Try to meet the demand, right? Try to supply the demand. Whenever the doorbell rings, you go answer it. As long as it's not bad, as long as it's not bad, if the doorbell rings, you have to take care of business. So that, that is why, by the way, when people have that cell phone and it starts ringing in the middle of a conversation, they're talking to their kids and all of a sudden their cell phone rings to somebody from work and they don't know whether they should answer it or not, but they end up taking the call. Why did they take the call? Well, the doorbell rang and they feel like they have to answer it. It's not bad. It must be good. Or they're in the middle of a conversation with you, but the little Facebook notification icon comes up at the top right of the screen 
And they got to go over there and click on the little thing and figure out what so-and-so said about what they were having for dinner, right? Because it's not bad. It must be good. And I think what, what Jesus is trying to tell Martha is, look, preparation for this dinner. And I, I truly believe it was in Martha's heart to do the most elaborate thing she could. And it might have been, probably was a little over the top elaborate. I think Jesus was trying to say, look, all these things that you're trying to do to make this be the perfect dinner, it's not bad. And she felt like it must be good. But God is saying, Jesus is trying to tell her, maybe there is a third category. Check this out. Let's look at the scripture. What does the scripture have to say? You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Now think about this. We can take the bad stuff off the table because this is not about bad stuff. Bad stuff's not even into the discussion. Jesus is not saying anything that she's done is bad. We're talking about all the stuff that would be in that good stuff category that we're talking about. But then check it out. He says, there's a lot of things that you're worried about, but only a few things are needed. He said, there's part of that good stuff. Well, let me put it this way. Let's put it in chart form. Jesus is introducing a third category. Jesus said, there's good stuff, there's bad stuff, and then Martha, there's stuff that ultimately doesn't matter. There's three categories. That just shakes up my worldview. Well, if it, so now I gotta say, okay, well, if it's not bad, it might be good, but then again, it might be stuff that ultimately doesn't matter. So when I get that Facebook notification, yeah, it might be good stuff, but it also could just be somebody telling me about what they had for dinner. It could be stuff that ultimately doesn't matter, right? Jesus is trying to help Martha understand this. I want to show you this too, by the way. If you're a math person, you probably picked up on this as we were reading this passage. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Many, few. So we're talking about the, the good stuff and the stuff that doesn't really matter. Check this out. He says, the stuff that isn't really needed is many things. The stuff that really is needed is few things, or in this case, only one thing. So now we can adjust our graph to make it work, right? This is what Jesus is trying to say. There's bad stuff, there's good stuff, and there's stuff that ultimately doesn't matter. But there's only a little bit of good stuff, as a matter of fact. And there's a whole lot of stuff that ultimately doesn't matter. Research tells us that the average adult American spends more than five hours a day watching television. Adults who say they use social media networks spend an average of over three hours a day on social network sites. And another piece of research found that eight to 18 year old kids play an average of over 13 hours of video games a week. Not necessarily bad stuff. It just fits into the big category of stuff that ultimately doesn't matter. I mean, think about this. I'm kind of going off track and kind of going off script here for a second, but I want you to think about this. Suppose you have 24 hours in your day. If you're like most of us, that's where your day begins and ends, right? You have 24 hours. So say you work eight of those hours, right? So now you're down to 16 hours that are available. Say your commute to work, to and from, takes an hour. Right? So now you're down to 15. So you've got three hours of must-dos. Change the oil, go to the grocery store, you're down to 12. Right? Say you're really good to your body and you sleep eight hours. Most of us don't, but say, say you do. How many hours does that leave? You've got four hours. Four hours of your day to do all the things that are really, really important. 
And yet a lot of us as Americans are spending over five hours a day watching television. We're spending over three hours a day on social media. We've got kids spending over 13 hours a week on video games. It's not bad stuff. It's not bad stuff. The question is though, is it, is it stuff that really matters or stuff that ultimately doesn't matter? And I'm not picking on technology. I hope you know that. I, I'm just saying it is a good place to start. Because technology has given us way more entry points for things that waste our time than things that actually matter. I want to give you this thought. Right? And if you're taking notes, this might be one of the few things from this morning that's worth writing down. It's just a simple axiom for life that I hope you can adopt, and it is this. Not everything in life that demands your attention deserves your attention. Not everything in life that demands your attention deserves your attention. So that means not every time the doorbell rings are you designed by God to get up and answer it. Right? So I said a second ago that the majority of stuff that calls for our attention is stuff that really doesn't matter. And that's very important for our story. Because I have a question. When I read this story, I wonder, what happened to Martha? I mean, what happened here? Martha started off wanting to do something really great. She wanted to do something really cool for Jesus and his disciples. Right? It was out of the goodness of her heart. By the time the story is over, her attitude has shifted. Her heart has shifted. Her tone of voice has shifted. And now, she's being cranky and snippy. I don't know, has this ever happened to you? I mean, you really intend to do something great for the people you love. I mean, when you're walking in the gates of Disney World, everybody's happy. But as you're walking out of the gates of Disney World, right? There's crankiness and snippiness, right? What happens? What changed? And it's important for us to know because, like I said, it does happen to us. So I want to know, what is, what is the diagnosis here, right? The conference that I was at... Last week, I was at a conference with Christian therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists and uh, life coaches. And, and we were sitting, uh, getting ready for a session. There were several of us sitting around talking about stuff. We were talking about different diagnoses that people receive and um, different labels uh, that um, people have about different conditions they might have, which is not a bad thing. I'm just saying we're having a discussion about this. And we were saying how wonderful it would be if Jesus could just diagnose people because then we'd know for sure what they had. I mean, after all, if Jesus gives you a diagnosis, I would go with that. Right? And so Jesus is going to give Martha a diagnosis. And so I think it's interesting to check out what Jesus did not say. Right? Jesus did not say, well, Martha, you have an attitude problem. You're overly critical. Right? Which probably is a family of origin issue. Right? Which probably means that your mother was highly critical. Right? Which then has now trickled down to you being highly critical with me, which now we have to put a, an end to this familial cycle of discontent. But we can do that. Or, or here's another one. Right? He didn't go, well, you see, Martha, what we have here is a self, self and other awareness issue. And if we could just help you become aware of your impact on yourself and others, then everything would be fine. No, he didn't say that. And I'll tell you what else he didn't say, because I've heard this preached before. He could have said, Jesus could have said, you know what, Martha, your problem is you don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. I mean, after all, if I can feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fishes, I can certainly take care of supper, right? And that would have been true, but it's not what Jesus said. Check out what Jesus actually said. Martha, you are what? This is the diagnosis. You are what? Worried and upset. Which, by the way, 
one commentator, and I thought had it, had it really down. He said, literally worried and upset here translates out to you are dragged around. Just like that mom at the airport, right? Splayed out in five different directions. He said, Martha, your problem is not a personality challenge. Your problem is not some sort of internal issue. Your problem is that you are being dragged around. You are being disintegrated. He said, you are worried and upset over all these details. Over all these details. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. And I, I wish I was talented enough to really preach this, but I want you to get this. Jesus is saying, Martha, I want you to understand you are not being dragged around by the good stuff. You are being dragged around by the stuff that ultimately doesn't matter. I don't know if that hits you where you live, where it hits me, where I live, but I'll tell you this. I, I don't feel dragged around by the stuff that matters in my life. I know what matters in my life. And those things aren't causing me to be all stressed out and splayed out and distracted and disintegrated. The things that are doing that to me are things that eventually won't matter. The things in the end analysis that won't make a difference in this world. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. If, well, let me, let me put it this way. We'll work this logically. Say we take the bad stuff off the table for a second, right? So it's not even there. We say that... All this stuff here, good stuff and stuff that ultimately doesn't matter. You have the Halloween candy approach to answering the doorbell of your attention. Whenever the doorbell rings, you answer it. There's, there is no discrimination here. Whatever comes to your door, you're going to take, right? So you got a lot of stuff uh, trying to get your attention that doesn't really matter and a little bit of good stuff. Let me ask you this. If you indiscriminately pay attention to whatever comes your way, what is going to occupy most of your life? Stuff that really doesn't matter. And you will expect other people around you to approach life that same way. See, that's the problem between Martha and Mary. Martha doesn't get why Mary isn't answering the doorbell when all the stuff shows up and starts ringing. I mean, after all, the tables have to get dusted. The floors have to get clean. Somebody's going to have to cook some food. Yeah, but tomorrow and in eternity, are those things really going to matter? Not so much. And Jesus is saying, no, there's, there's, there's good stuff here. And, and the thing about it is, the reason that Martha got resentful is, bless her little heart. She was absolutely getting pulled around like crazy. She had way too many things calling for her attention, and she was giving it away. And God's trying to teach us, not everything that demands your attention deserves your attention. Jesus said, only a few things are needed, or in this case, only one. Mary has chosen what is better. By the way, what is better? That phrase equivalates out to, in, in, the, in the Greek, if, 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 it, if they just bring it over from Greek into English, it translates over into, Mary has chosen the good part, right? Mary has chosen the good part. And that word chosen is very intentional as well. That word chosen means to, cho to, 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 to search for and to take. So it's like when you go shopping for produce and you have this big table of produce in front of you. You pick the very best of what's available, and you put it in the sack, and you, you take it home, right? And that's what the Bible is saying Mary did. Mary looked at the range of options in front of her, the, the, the range of things that she could pay attention to, and she picked the very best things, and she took them. And that's what she locked onto, which, by the way, also teaches us that the best things in life to pay attention to are not going to find you. You will have to go find them. 
As far as I know, Facebook is not in the business of notifying you that you need to spend a couple of hours of quality time with your kids, right? Late night television is very unlikely to encourage you to pick up your Bible and figure out what God wants to say to you and for you to talk to him. The best things in life require finding. You have to be intentional. You have to go after it. So how will you know if a part of your attention or part of your world is really the good part, if it's the best stuff or it's just stuff that ultimately doesn't matter? Well, I want to use a verse, and we're going to try to extract from this verse a principle that's going to help us make that call. Matthew 16, 26, it's a familiar verse. It says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Okay, now here's what's happening. Jesus is trying to teach us something about priorities. And in doing that, he's talking about the most important priority in anyone's life. The most important priority in anyone's life is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? And those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I think we feel that. And Jesus is saying this is the most important priorities. But as he's trying to illustrate how important that priority is, he does it in the framework of saying a relationship with Jesus is priceless and it's irreplaceable. Check this out. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? It's irreplaceable. There's nothing that can replace that. And is anything worth more than your soul? It's priceless. There's no way you can put a price tag on it. So think about this. In the world of priorities, when Jesus tries to teach us something about priorities, he immediately takes us to the irreplaceable and the priceless. Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what Jesus had to say, among all the opportunities available to her, and she had a lot of opportunities available. She could have been dusting, she could have been cleaning, she could have been cooking, but here's the thing. She knew, Mary understood, that to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to what he had to say was a priceless and irreplaceable opportunity, and immediately that put that opportunity in the zone of the good stuff. See, in our world's each of us have some opportunities that are priceless and irreplaceable. The challenge is to sort through the tons of opportunities that don't rise to that level to get to the ones that are really important. For instance, focus time with your kids. And I'm not talking about just time when they're in the room with you. Focus time with your kids is priceless and irreplaceable. Advice from a mentor that you deeply respect is priceless and irreplaceable. Moments of intimacy and connection with your spouse is priceless and irreplaceable. How much are we doing to safeguard those kind of opportunities in our life? More than that, how many times are you willing to let the doorbell of your attention ring without answering it in order to make sure that you can take advantage of the best opportunities in your life? That's what Jesus was trying to teach Martha. I mean, we know that Jesus loved Martha. In John 11, the Bible says Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He loved Martha. He loved her sister Mary and, and, and their brother Lazarus. And he wanted to help her understand that her, his best for her comes from locking into those best opportunities. Think about this. And this may be me sort of taking it afield, but think about this. If you focus on the opportunities in your life that are priceless and irreplaceable, every day of your life, you will be zeroing in on once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. I have two little girls at home. The very fact that God gave me two precious daughters means that every day of my life, I will have once-in-a-lifetime opportunities with them. 
question is, am I zeroing in on those, or am I so disintegrated by things that don't ultimately matter that I won't even know that they're there? And Jesus is saying, no, you need to focus on the things that really matter. Well, I'm running out of time. I want to cover a couple things super quickly. Jesus said to Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and then check out this last phrase. It will not be taken away from her. Now that's really interesting, that he uses a passive construction of the phrase. He doesn't say, I will not take it away from her. He says, it will not be taken away from her. Why? Well, I can't say for sure, but I'll tell you what I think. I think Jesus is saying that because the good stuff, the good part, the part that he said Mary had locked into, that part had been taken away from Martha. And, and I'll tell you what took it away. It's this stuff. Because, see, the stuff in life that ultimately doesn't matter will rob you of the stuff that does matter. But here's what's cool, and I want you to get this. Jesus is saying, when we focus on the good stuff, I'm going to read you a passage in just a second that, that substantiates this. But when we focus on the good stuff, God has the ability, because he has the resources, uh, to bless us with things that are in this category. See, God knows that there are some things in this category that we actually do care about and some things that are important to us. They do have a market value and they could be replaced, but they still matter to us. But God is saying, look, it's a matter of where you put your focus. If you focus on the good stuff, I can help you with this stuff. Check it out. Matthew 6, 31, Jesus said, don't worry about things like what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? All that stuff is in here. It's in the stuff that ultimately doesn't matter category. And he said, those things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. So what does he say? The kingdom of God and right living, right? Because that's what it means to live righteously. It just means to live in a right way. Right living and the kingdom of God are in the good stuff category. And he said, if you focus on those things, check out what he says, then he will give you everything you need. So God will manage this area of your life if you manage this area. God's saying, focus on the things that really matter. As a matter of fact, God loves us enough that he wants us to focus and to lock in on the things that matter so that he can take care of the other things. So here it is, the end of my time with you, and I want to give you a homework assignment. I've never done this before. Seven years of speaking here at New Spring, I've never given anybody a homework assignment, but here you go, right? Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to think about the things in your life that call for your attention. And I want you to think about five things that are in this category, that are in the category of stuff that ultimately doesn't matter, that are sucking up the resources of your life. They're taking your time and attention to resources. And then I want you to think of five things that belong in this category, five things that ultimately matter. These are priceless and irreplaceable components of your life. And I want you to think about what your world would be like if for a week, if for a week, you chose to redirect your focus from the things that don't ultimately matter to the things that do. As a matter of fact, what would it be like if for a week you chose that? I'm not going to answer those doorbells unless it's something that really matters. I think it could change your life. I know it's, it's, it's really doing a number on me to try to redirect my focus. I mean, God loves us enough to want us to focus on the best things. And I hope that's been helpful for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you care about us, that you don't expect any of us to be superhuman. As a matter of fact, you didn't design us to be superhuman. That you work through our limitations. I pray that as we walk away from this message, Father, you would remind us to be present to bring our whole self to what we're doing, to, to our relationships, to the people that care about us, to our job, to, to the, the, the things that you've called us to. I pray that we bring our whole self to those things. Father, now as we close out this time together, I pray if there's anyone in this room
who needs to prioritize their relationship with you to put that at the top, that they would do that. Heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. I told you the most important priority in anyone's life is that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's absolutely at the top. And if you felt that as you were sitting in this room and said, you know, that's something I need to get settled. I want to help you settle that before you leave this morning. I'm going to say the words to a very simple prayer. And it's something that you can follow, follow along with. You can say this silently in your head to God because he's the only one who needs to hear it. And if you do, you will have that relationship. Most important part of anyone's life. You ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died to pay for the things I've done wrong. I know I can't get to heaven without you. So I put my trust in you. And I ask you to make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody look this way. I know everybody's in a hurry to get to lunch, but quickly, if you just prayed that prayer, we want to do something for you. We want to give you a packet of materials we put together. It has a DVD and a booklet in it. We just want to get it to you before you leave. You can take that Talk to Us card, check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ, and take it to guest services on your way out. Thank you so much for being here with us this week. Next week, we continue. Say goodbye to Superman. Superman.